0: (laughs) Um, Thank you for joining us. Um, My name is Sita Lohman. I'm a senior director at DXC Technology. Um, And we're excited to talk to you today about SAP and basically designing it, delivering it, managing it over public cloud and specifically on AWS. Thanks for joining us. And the clicker. So we're going to cover today a little bit about what is Amazon directly doing with SAP and then specifically um, I'm assuming most of you are clients out there. You know, as you're thinking about what is it gonna take for you to move to, whether it's Suite on HANA or S4, what are the things that you need to think about in terms of you know, both migrating or running into um, SAP, into the cloud? Um, what are all the different customer benefits? There's a lot of questions about what's the advantage of moving there, and just what are the things from other clients that might be important for you to think about? This slide is actually a AWS slide, you probably have seen it before um, from Amazon, and it really talks about if you're going to run SAP in Amazon, what are the the important aspects of it. Everything from rapid provisioning of the infrastructure itself, which is obviously important, um, being able to scale up, scale out, and of course there's different announcements coming all the time um, from AWS in terms of what you can do to support there. The security, the simplification, Um, a little bit of what we're gonna talk about today is what does DXC bring to the table in terms of actually helping you leverage AWS to then go manage your SAP in the cloud. Um, Of course, there's a lot of different low cost of entry points. There's proof of concepts available from Amazon. So there's a lot of things that you can really leverage from Amazon to actually get started into this journey. This slide starts to talk about, well, what are we seeing from clients? Um, We talk to clients all the time. We're a very large corporation, and we run a lot of SAP for clients in traditional hosting, private cloud, virtual clouds, and then we have clients obviously moving to um, public cloud as well. Um, Certainly cloud native, Um, I was talking to a client today, and they were actually looking to do their first Greenfield implementation for SAP, moving from Oracle, let's say, into SMP. So you certainly see clients like that. How many of you in the room are one of those kinds of clients? All right, to the front, through in the front. Three in the front. Um, I'd say the middle square, dev test. A lot of clients are saying, "Okay, I want to start thinking about this, but I want to think about it in terms of running my projects or dev or test in a public cloud." Really, I'm not ready, maybe to think about moving my production, but definitely want to start and and feel like that dev test area is kind of another place to start. Anybody out there? Okay. Um, Moving Similarly, I I would say in that, it's kind of the bottom, whatever it is, the moving smaller SAP workloads into the cloud as well, or even just critical applications workloads into the cloud. Um, And then we have a lot of clients, this really doesn't even jump out on here, who just say, I'm ready to move to the cloud. I wanna take my suite on Hannah and I wanna move everything to the cloud, whether it's prod or whether it's dev test or projects. And they just wanna move everything to the cloud and they want a, a partner and a way to actually move everything out there. So I think you see every form of client um, in terms of what their needs are and what they're actually trying to do in this space. Um, So just a few little tidbits about DXC. We won't harp on this a little bit. We are a rather large um, startup, as we like to say. We were formed in April of this year. um, The combination of the Hewlett Packard Enterprise Services business with CSC. We are one of the largest um, partners with AWS. We have over 50 professional certifications. We've been running managed services with AWS for quite some time as well. Um, And, of course, um, DXC itself has a lot of our own Clouds as well, so we have a lot of experience with Cloud. But likewise, we have a lot of SAP experience. As I said, we've been running SAP in traditional for many years, um, and then over the years, moved that into private Clouds and virtual Clouds. We were actually the first, about four or five years ago, to implement um, S4HANA in a virtual private Cloud, and we have 20 plus entries of that running in the world today. Um, 15,000 professionals that do everything from apps management to basis management, to project and just implementations of SAP around the world. So we do know SAP, and we know how to run those types of workloads for clients. I mean, you can see the kinds of clients. that we have hundreds of clients, and we manage, well, millions of workloads as well. So pretty big SAP business within the company. But enough about us. Why don't we now talk about what does it mean for you as clients who are actually thinking about the move? And what is it really going to take for you? And, you know, we like to talk first about thinking about what you're actually wanting to do and what are you trying to architect for before you actually rush out and go do that. So I'll turn it over to Vinay. He's going to chat with you about it.
1: Thanks, Sita. Can anyone hear me all right? I am, uh, Vinay, I'm an SAP offering leader within the DXC SAP practice. So what we're gonna look at in the next few slides is essentially SAP has, is traditionally an on-premise application for all of you who've been doing SAP here, and we're trying to move that into... And into a public cloud where most of it is loosely coupled. So <clears throat> the key part is when, when you're moving into a nat- from a, not a cloud native application into cloud, the key things that we got to look at from an enterprise standpoint are your security, continuity, high availability, those kind of things which are key. And that's what we're gonna look at in the next couple of slides at what the key design principles are and what we're seeing in the market. So, first thing, I mean, simplicity. From AWS standpoint, they have come a long way to actually create, provide a lot of, uh, you know, cloud formation templates, readily provisioned VPCs to basically set up and set up an SAP landscape pretty quickly. The key, however, is, I mean, when you run SAP, like we know, right, I mean, it, we require disaster recovery, we require bur, we require monitoring. So, <clears throat> it's very important for us to look at not just templatizing, but it's also important for us to look at from a business need what exactly is needed in order to architect an SAP landscape. One of the examples is from a monitoring standpoint, SAP provide, sorry, AWS provides CloudWatch, but that only takes care of the infrastructure side of the piece. Now, it, there should be a combination, so we need to combine. SAP Solution Manager with CloudWatch so that way you can actually get a full end-to-end view into the complete performance of your landscape. So the key is, it is simple. I mean, AWS makes it very simple to bring the infrastructure up, but it is very important for you and your organizations to look at the complete SAP stack and design the SAP stack properly. So again, from an SAP HANA on AWS, key things that we have seen is first is sizing. Uh, HANA sizing is very important. Uh, We have, you, you gotta look at the requirements today. AWS has scale up at four terabytes, scale out at 34 terabytes. So obviously BW on HANA, if you're doing your scale out requirements, if you're doing an S4 HANA implementation or a suite on HANA, then it's a scale up requirement that you have to look at. So you have to do a proper sizing. So you have to run your quick sizers, run your early watch reports, make sure the sizing is right. And then look at the limitation. I mean, if it's four terabytes and you're at a terabyte, project for at least two years to understand how much of growth you would have and size according to that. The other thing is, I mean, we we keep talking to our customers and we always tell them SAP cannot be a pure cloud play. It has to be a hybrid environment. So you have to make sure, like, for example, if you have Vertex or if you have any of those uh, peripheral SAP systems that are still going to reside on your on-prem data centers, and you're having your SAP environment in the cloud, so you have to make sure that there is a proper WAN connection, you have direct connect set up so that data flow is not uh, impacted by that. And of course, the last thing is you have to look at what are compliance requirements that you need from a data perspective from HANA. So the other thing with uh, SAP always is application and business SLAs. Uptime is very important in the production landscapes. So <clears throat> you have to, we, we advise you to utilize all the AWS uh, auto recovery, multiple availability zones when you're designing, whether you want regional separation in your disaster recovery, you want the you know, same region, high availability, you want auto failover, you have to make sure you're designed for those. We also have to bring into picture, like I said, it has to be a combination of SAP and AWS. So you have to look at all the native HANA functionalities, like HANA system replication that you would have to use if you're doing uh, you know, disaster recovery between two sites. And if you're doing local uh, high availability, the HANA system replication is very important that way. The second key thing that's very important is data protection and uh, backup and uh, retention periods. So <clears throat> again, there you have to plan for your retention, plan for your archival needs, make sure you have the right S3 buckets, right glacier for archival, and any import exports that you would have to do to do a you know offsite uh, storage. Security is also very important. Uh, that's another key thing that you will have to look at um, in a typical SAP S4 HANA landscape how you design your uh, VLANs, like if you have to have a DMZ zone for your web dispatchers, behind the firewall, your regular app servers, your, what do you call integration into your uh, user identity management. So security is also a key important aspect that you have to look at when you're designing your SAP landscape. The last thing is basically, Uh, how your operations are. Is your operations team ready to basically take this whole thing up to the cloud, take SAP up to the cloud? So one of the key things is make sure your roles, like how you have it in on-prem, you have the infrastructure team, you have the SAP basis team, you have the SAP application team. So you have to have the same kind of segregation of roles Monitoring is also key, so that's where SAP Solution Manager and AWS as a combination plays a very good role because that's how you can monitor your entire landscape. And all your idle processes that you have today to manage your SAP landscape on-prem, they're completely true for cloud, so make sure you bring those processes into. So as a summary of what we just talked about from a design considerations, as I said, SAP, truly, I mean, Granted success factors, Ariba, these are all cloud applications, but the traditional ECC or BW and HANA or GRC, these are still not native cloud designed applications. So you have to factor your growth based on that. Your key considerations with respect to enterprise requirements, which is DR, with respect to RTO, RPO requirements, availability requirements, those are key for you to make sure that you architect a solution that would not impact the performance, would not impact security, and would also you know, bring you the same kind of on-premise atmosphere that you would have when you're moving SAP. The other key thing to note is <clears throat> SAP has OSS nodes out there which have exact sizings that are needed and exact uh, AWS instances that are needed for specific workloads of SAP. So that's very key. I mean, you cannot pick any uh, you know, uh, instance that's there in AWS. You have to go look at those SAP nodes and make sure you are matching to the, that instance, the type that uh, AWS and SAP are recommending together. So next, we'll look at migrating SAP applications to AWS. So the the migration is pretty much using SAP DMO. So the way we do it is you have the SAP DMO installed on your production server. That will basically convert your your data files into an ASC or HANA-based flat files. And on your target system in AWS, you would again run DMO to load the, uh, the flat files into an ASC or a HANA database. So these are actually the steps that you would have to do, which I just spoke about. In these steps, you can always, you know, fast pace some of the activities you can fast-track. Like, you can rapidly build your target environment. You don't have to wait for your production environment. You can build your target environment, make that ready. You can use SAP's DMO to Cloud Toolkit, so that allows you to migrate faster into cloud rather than the standard SAP DMO. You can do instant scaling, so you can do mass parallel imports, and then you, once you're done with the imports, you can always scale down. Of course, the transfer, so you, can, you have to choose whether you want to do direct connect for faster uh, connectivity between your on-premise data center and Azure Cloud, or you do a portable mass storage where you actually ship the storage, and then AWS basically brings it back in for you. Now, you can also do, you can automate some of these, uh, and that's what we'll show you next. So activities that can be automated. So on your source system, which is on your on-premise, it is it can be on ECC on any DB. Uh, you can do table splitting, uh, splitting, and then you can also do unattended SAP install XML inputs, so that allows you to prep your source system faster. You can prepare your target landscape, so you can make use of HANA quick starts, CloudFormation templates, SAP application server deployments can be done through cloud formation templates, so you can prep your target landscape equally faster. Software downloads. And then you can do parallel transfer and import of files to reduce your your, your cutover times. So that way you can actually... This is typically how you would migrate from any DB to ASE or HANA. Now you can also do your uh, homogeneous migrations, Oracle to Oracle, SQL Server to SQL Server. Heterogeneous is also possible, meaning if you're on an AIX DB2 environment and you want to move to an Oracle, uh, you know, uh, Linux Oracle environment, that's also supported as part of the migration. So, <clears throat> I mean, pretty much the, there are different migration options depending on what your source system is and what you want your target system to be. And it will allow you to basically automate. You can automate some of these activities, and you can also speed up the activities. So next, we'll look at running, uh, running SAP on AWS.
2: Chris. Thanks very much, Jay. So um, my name's Chris Lee-Kuril. I look after all of the AWS offerings for DXC. And um, what I'd like to talk to you about today is some of the decisions that we took and why we did what we did when we host both SAP and SAP HANA internally, and what we do for our customers as well. Now, first of all, I'd like to congratulate you all, congratulate you all for making it this far in Vegas. and You all appear to be awake and paying attention, so well done for that. It's good to see the turnout. So, um, as I said, I'm responsible for the AWS offerings. So we don't have a SAP practice inside my group. Now, what this has sort of demonstrated is we've been working with CETA, VJ, and a number of others in our practice to actually understand what it takes to deliver a non-cloud or a non-cloud designed application in this environment. So we had a number of choices when we started looking at this, both to deliver SAP and, in fact, any other application inside an AWS environment. So we could have quite easily taken our old traditional management plane that we used inside a traditional data center running on TIN, um, that we could have, picked up multiple number of products, dropped them in an AWS environment, and managed the SAP and any other application in that environment. But we felt that was sort of missing a trick, and we were not really delivering on the promise of a cloud-based application. So we decided to actually almost start from scratch and see what the AWS portfolio could deliver when it comes to managing these applications. So we set up a number of fundamental tenets of what we actually wanted to achieve to deliver SAP and other applications. And if my laser pointer works. So full automation where possible. Even though it's not a cloud-ready application, you can do a great deal and you can learn a lot from Cloud Ready Apps about how you can improve the performance, <coughs> delivery, and operation of these applications in an AWS environment. We were looking at utilizing the full stack of AWS services, and that sounds quite easy, but when you realize the pace of change, and I'm sure people are at this reInvent, and if you've been to re previously, the sheer number of announcements that come out I mean, it's almost a full-time job just keeping up to date. For example, um, a new service that wasn't in the keynote today, uh, but DataGuard, which was launched yesterday on an announcement about real-time monitoring for security purposes of your AWS accounts. That's great. So I've already now got my developers and my, my teams looking at that and how we can leverage that in our both internal accounts and how we can actually deliver that as a service to our customers. So understanding and keeping a pace with the AWS environment is a considerable part of keeping the services up to date. So another key thing there, I know we've got the Service Now labeled oh there we go, we're back. The Service Now environment, another key tenant is we actually want the service and the applications and the whole environment to be easy to use for the end user. Now, that end user, typically, if they're a SAP consultant, a developer, may not have the in-depth knowledge of an AWS environment, and the AWS console can appear slightly frightening and be quite an intimidating place if you're not a fae with AWS. I mean, ju- just hands up here. Who uses the AWS console on a regular basis? Yeah, so a few, but, but not many. So if you go in and actually start running, say, a CloudFormation template, to actually deploy an SAP environment, you can be presented with a very, very long list of variables that you need to fill in and deploy. So what we can do with ServiceNow, if I press my magic button, I hate the animations, so we'll just spin through those so it's all up there. Um, you can actually start to predefine these. So you're actually building in those best practices and the deployment. And as Vijay was talking about, it's design, design, design. And then this leads into the cloud formation template that we utilize through ServiceNow to actually be able to deliver this environment, this SAP test dev, SAP panel, whatever it happens to be, to the end customer, which could either be our own internal SAP developer or an end-end customer. So one of the main reasons we chose ServiceNow, and I'll just talk a little bit about this because I feel it's quite important, um, is the deep integration with the AWS API that ServiceNow offer. So rather than having an abstracted orchestration layer, we now have a tool that integrates directly with AWS through the use of cloud formation templates. So this means if you can define it in a CFT, you can present it as a catalog item. There we go. We've got some catalog items there, and I think there's actually a SAP HANA down there, so which the user can then choose to deploy. There's the full workflow that. That of the ITIL services that ServiceNow present you, so it can be gated, so you can start to control your cost. Everything will be tagged correctly, so you can start to do chargeback and showback of the application in the AWS environment. So while it seems almost a, well, this is non AWS, it's, it's key to making the whole thing usable, because it's great having a fantastic technical solution that you can deploy easily, but if it's actually can't be used by the end user in an easy and effective manner, then you almost may well have not bothered. And another key thing there, and I think it's the last one there, but it's probably one of the most important, is the event management. So any alerts are raised both through the SAP native monitoring and also through CloudWatch, whether that's a EC2 alarm, whether it's a S3 availability, or whether it's an alert over a CloudWatch, uh, sorry, CloudTrail monitoring will actually then start to appear inside ServiceNow, which can then be operated on by our CloudOps team. And that then gives a, a, a full environment so that the end user can actually start to use and appreciate. So there's a, a big advert for ServiceNow there. So I, that sort of now leads me on, and I, I realize that well, sorry, this is a very, very big subject the whole running of an application inside AWS, and we've only got a limited amount of time. So I'm actually only gonna to touch upon a few areas as this is an introductory session, but I wanna leave plenty of time at the end for a Q&A session. Now, if we don't have time to answer your question or we don't go further enough in detail, then please approach me at the end or come and visit our booth. I think our booth details are available at the end of the presentation. So this rather convoluted slide Um, is actually looking at showing some of the things that you need to concentrate on and think about when you're deploying um, SAP and, in fact, any other application that's non-cloud-ready into an AWS environment. So one one of the key things and one of the things that people almost take for granted is the networking. And it's a case of it's not as simple as just easily going over the Internet. Um, I wish it was so. You've got to start thinking about, Are you using Direct Connect? What's your bandwidth? How are you controlling the cost? How are you securing this? How are you managing data in-flight encryption if you need to be doing that? How are you building in your cost controls? Because networking can easily spiral spiral out of control if you're not careful about it. So this is one of the, the key areas, although not particularly sexy, It's one of the things that you need to really concentrate on to ensure that you're delivering business value and a workable solution to your end users. And again, that goes into the VPC design. While not specifically networking, it will actually allow you to deploy, and again, it goes down to the point of design, 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 to ensure that you're actually delivering that application correctly. myself there. So we've sort of touched a little bit on um, the deployment um, of the environments using cloud formation templates. And this, again, then comes down into the automation (coughs) excuse me, and the design of your uh, environment. So utilizing sort of cloud formation templates, you're building in that best design and those design principles that you've come up with that meet your Business requirements, whether that's for a test dev environment, whether it's for the ability to clone um, SAP environments to perform testing, to do performance testing, et cetera. So you can build those into the cloud formation templates to ensure that you're using, for example, the right EC2 sizes, or you can limit them, so depending on the use case. So this is a, a vitally important part, and it's the, bit, it's the piece that the developer most or the end user interfaces with directly. So it's got to be smooth, it's got to be clean, but it's also got to ensure that they're working inside the corporate governance. So that's, that's a key element there. So we've mentioned monitoring a little bit, I and mean, it is actually one of the, the, the important things, and it's <coughs> excuse me, and it's one of the, the, the things that I really, really focus in on this because so much can come out of monitoring the solution. So we've talked a little bit about the native um, SAP and also CloudWatch, Um, environment. But you can do so much more um, than that. So a key is to collect it all in a single place. So a ServiceNow repository. So you can pick up that. But now you're starting to pick up these alerts and monitoring. You can start to be a little bit more intelligent about it. So this is where utilizing some of the AWS services that we've spoken about both in the keynote today and also in other sessions, for example, machine learning. So you can actually then start to actually look at these logs these alerts and actually start to predict when there's going to be an issue inside your SAP environment, which is obviously vitally important for a production environment. So if you can start to predict, you can then also start to automate solutions. So you can actually inter—you can be reactive. No, sorry, not reactive. You can actually come in before the event actually happens and fix it. So you're improving your uptime, you're improving the performance of the application, and all around you're actually delivering a better result to the end user. And this is what we mean by actually leveraging some of the lessons learned by cloud-ready applications. They can still be applied into environments and applications such as SAP. So with that machine learning, it's one of the advantages as well, because we talked about a hybrid solution as well, One of the things that the platform that we designed also supports is the hybrid environment. So CloudWatch, brilliant at monitoring the AWS environment, but what happens if you've got something running in your data center that's dependent on there, that's feeding data, pulling data out, et cetera. So having that central repository that you can feed data into, is vital, because you can then still run the machine learning on all of that data. You build a data lake. You start to do that analysis. You learn. You constantly build and evolve the solution. You have people dedicated to the automation of the solutions, whether that's extending EBS volumes, whether that's resizing, or whether it's actually automating some of the SAP admin functions to actually affect fixes. So I've sort of talked about this slide already, this actually section about going in and actually with the formation templates and the ability to actually do the full automation um, of the environment in the end gives you that, that stack, that capability of supporting the AWS environment which will then support the SAP environment which will give you the deliverable to your end user. So one, one of the, the, the things I think, and I appreciate, this has been a bit of a, a whistle-stop um, tour of some of the things you need to think about. And one of the things that, hands up anybody who has spot the obvious thing that wasn't on that previous slide. It's a big thing beginning with S, and it's security. So that's one of the things that, while it's very difficult to call out specific products and security is never, ever a bolt-on product at the end, it goes back into the design, design, design. Because it's not only just um, antivirus running on your um, OS, it's all about, say, intrusion protection. It's about data at rest encryption. It's about data in-flight encryption. It's about how are you handling this inside your AWS environment? How are you managing the keys inside there? So these are all things you need to think about when deploying this AWS environment. Yes, you need AV. Yes, you need patch management on your OSs, and again, these are services that can be done inside the AWS environment, certainly the patch management through uh, EC2 Systems Manager. Um, we've chosen uh, a couple of products to actually do the AV, so one is CrowdStrike, um, which we feel works particularly well inside that environment. But security has to be at the heart of everything you do, from the design, the deployment, everything. It's all about the security, because at the end of the day, this is a public cloud environment, and you are putting potentially sensitive data up there. So security has to be key. There is no reason why you shouldn't as long as the solution is properly designed and architected and protected. So one of the things, last thoughts, I'd leave you with on the AWS side, that it's now no longer sufficient to have sort of disparate teams of networking, database, SAP. These teams now all need to come together and work as one to actually deliver a harmonious solution to the end user. So the teams now need to have the knowledge of AWS and not just AWS as it is now, but also constantly be researching, how can I leverage the new pieces and functionality that are constantly being released? So machine learning, AI, massive area of development for AWS at the moment, and it has huge connotations for these kind of services that you can leverage, while immediately go, well, what can it do for me? But if you can start predicting things that are happening inside your environment, it gives you the power to prevent that on a security side, an operation side, and a performance side. So you now need to build teams or leverage teams or get that experience in from AWS, SAP, cloud, networking, application security. It all comes together to actually building that application. So really, it is not as simple as just firing off a CloudFormation template um, that you can actually easily download from AWS. There's an awful lot more to think about that when you're actually starting to deploy SAP solutions in an AWS environment. And I'll hand back over to Cita.
0: Hello again. How are you guys still doing? (coughs) Good. Um, So this slide is hopefully intended to help you when you're thinking about looking for a partner to work with you. Um, What are the different pieces and parts that a provider can help you with? So obviously um, you can get the AWS services um, either directly from Amazon or through partners, um, SIs. Um, if you look at kind of the left-hand side of this, this is what I would say a lot of managed service providers are providing. They've got a set of managed services, which Chris talked about, which is basically managing the OS, patching, backup and recovery. Um, I would say typical SAP services around uh, basis service, implementation services, and then, of course, up the stack is the actual management services. Most of this is very, again, traditional set of services that we might provide in a traditional environment, or cloud environment. Um, And really where we're also going, though, is if you look to the right in what we're calling Managed SAP PaaS Plus, is really that full stack automation. And now instead of um, just getting your infrastructure and managing it separate from your life cycles, is thinking about how do you have automated SID provisioning so that you get your full either single or distributed SID provisioned as a single entity, and then you perform all the life cycle actions on those entities like copy, clone, suspend, resume, and you provide that as a full stack implementation. And so that gets into the point that actually both Vinay and Chris were mentioning as to why you need to have teams that can both design this and support you that have that end-to-end knowledge because be, to be able to implement design, provision, and then manage these end-to-end SIDs, you need to have you know teams like like a DXE or a single um, provider, that can help you understand how to manage your SIDS end-to-end like that, which would take into account the networking, the disaster recovery, the HA kinds of implementations. So I would just suggest to you, as you're looking to your partners for the future of this, um, you know, kind of the left-hand side, or the, you know, the types of services you might look from a partner, But think about as well partners that are kind of bringing this up a level and really trying to manage the entire SAP landscape as one single SID across all of the different platforms. Just one example of a client that we've worked with um, and I think they're a pretty typical client of others. Um, They deployed their SAP solution in 2005. I talked to another one today who deployed theirs in 2011. There's a lot of legacy SAP systems out there and haven't been upgraded in quite some time. Um, Systems are out of of date, the databases are somewhat becoming out of date. Um, Costs are starting to increase because of obsolescence or just all the different handoffs and manual activities that have to happen or the amount of time it takes to deploy things over time. Um, Licensing model. There's a lot of interesting licensing model conversations out there as well. And so these were kind of the requirements that made this client think about, I want to move my landscape. And in this case, they wanted to move their entire landscape across Prod and into Dev and Test into the cloud. They wanted to move into AWS. They wanted to upgrade all the way to S4HANA as well as migrating the database itself. Um, And then they had a suite of new um, functionality that they were trying to launch as well. Um, And then of course, with I'm sure many of you, there's a lot of older and legacy custom code that's been done. Um, And I want to reemphasize the point that Vinay said, Um, you know, this will not ever be a place where all of these applications run solely in the cloud. There are a lot of SAP extensions that will continue to run in the traditional world and being able to manage across those two environments, or even potentially some SAP system that might still, for whatever reason, make sense to stay in the cloud. So when we think about this, really managing SAP across a hybrid environment is really an important aspect as well. Um, You see on the right kind of some of the, the advantages and the benefits that came to this client. I mean, ultimately this is about production savings, um, whether it's operational cost savings or productivity savings. Um, pretty typical from what we see. Um, this is a smaller deployment. There's obviously many larger ones out there as well. So it really just depends on what are the objectives of what you guys are trying to accomplish as well. So, again, when you're looking for partners, um, you know, there are ways to reduce um, the amount of time it takes to deploy the SAP systems, to manage and run those systems. And with, you know, much more fully automated systems, we can reduce things down to, you know, frankly, in the hours um, as opposed to the days and, and however long it used to take. Um, And really think about this as a full SAP stack management and not just the infrastructure, the OS, the the basis and all that, but really think about how do you optimize the full SAP landscape um, so that you can truly get the savings that you're looking for. Um, Again, I encourage you to look for people that have experience in SAP, that have experience in cloud, um, even virtual private cloud or private cloud, because there's there's a lot of learnings out there from how um, SAP runs in those, which are becoming very relevant as... Clients are moving their um, applications into now the public cloud as well. And then, of course, look for clients that are partners that are, you know, really creating an automation roadmap and that this is not just about custom implementations, but really clients that are, are customers that are looking to invest in the technologies to fully automate, again, the full stack, not just the infrastructure layer of the stack. So I hope we might win a prize for being done early and giving you guys some, some time for questions. Um, we do have a booth over in the, uh, in the expo hall. When you walk in, think far right, and you'll find us up the aisle. But since we do have some time, why don't we uh, turn it over to some questions? Over here in the front. So, like plus, really awesome. Mm-hmm. Vene, you want to take it? I, I think the answer is not much. Yeah,
1: um. the, the the answer is yes, it's not much. You would still log in through your SAP, through your SAP GUI or you would come through your portal. So you would still, for, for an end user, there won't be that much of a difference because it's the same application that is running. Now... Granted, if you had the entire data center in, your, in, the, in very close to your uh, your, your premise, the, the latency is less. But that can be taken care of from a direct connect. But if I was an end user and I'm trying to go in and you know post, do some postings or run my portal, do my HR or any of those things, you won't see any difference at all. Essentially
0: it's it's completely transparent. Mm-hmm. It's completely transparent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, good question. Thank you. Other questions, front.
1: So, CloudWatch. Why
0: don't we reframe the question, too? Yeah. We so it. the
1: question was, what kind of metrics, which are SAP specific, that you could see in CloudWatch? Did I get that right? Right, or what you could customize. So Chris, on the CloudWatch part, I would probably Well, the Cloud, CloudWatch
2: has an API that you can actually interface with. So uh, as a rule, you won't pick out any SAP specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you're running, say, the database on RDS, then you would pick up some of the database stuff through CloudWatch. Uh, if you enabled them, but there wouldn't be any SAP specific. That's why it's important to have, um, say, something like ServiceNow or something that will almost act as a a central repository for the different monitoring tools that you're effectively going to have to use here. So unless you can actually, if you customize SAP and actually interface with the CloudWatch API, then you could fire alerts through that way as well. Yeah, so So.
1: it's a full, if you look at the SAP landscape from your infrastructure to the app, and you have Solution Manager, which is running your logs on the application side. CloudWatch is doing the same at the infrastructure side. Now you can have the APIs come into service now, where basically S- uh, Solution Manager also has APIs coming into service now. So you can bring them in there, and then you can do, you can have tech ops, business process ops from Solution Manager and the infrastructure from CloudWatch, and create a dashboard. I mean, you can create any kind of quick side dashboards or silver dashboards, and basically look at how your infrastructure is doing how your business processes are doing all in one kind of dashboard right so. so i mean traditionally in an sap environment you always rely on solution manager there's no way out of that yeah. so you would rely but the, <coughs> what cloudwatch brings is it gives you a full stack so if you are doing today on on prem data center right so you when you do solution manager you really don't go deep further into the infrastructure level right so that's the added advantage that mm-hmm. cloudwatch provides
0: And maybe you see something in Soulman, some application is acting poorly, you could probably now be able to see in your CloudWatch where might there be a node issue or something, so you actually, you'd have the side by side. And whether you look at them separately or they're exposed northbound through ServiceNow would be another way to look at it as well. So just a fuller picture of the full stack. Over here. I heard the cloud, the SAP not cloud friendly. What was the first one? Uh,
2: you know, the VM uh, uh, as, a, uh, as a mm. You know, like you can use it anytime. Yeah, I, I, I think if I re- rephrase the question so, as a cloud native app, you treat it as cattle, you don't love it, you don't pet it, you don't look after it, where an SAP is. You have to. Yeah, you, you stroke <laughs> it, you kiss night every night type of thing, you really look after it. Um, But that's the fundamental nature of SAP. You're not going to change that underlying app. Um, And it's it's very common for large enterprises and organizations to have a great number of legacy applications that they actually want to start bringing into an AWS environment. And you're always going to have those applications where, whether they're homegrown or third party, where it's not worth to turn them into a cloud-native application. So you have to do that. Now, it's about what you can do to actually leverage the cloud technology to make it a better experience, to make it more reliable, give you a better SLA. So how are you managing high availability? How are you managing DR in an AWS environment? Which is all achievable. You just have to start thinking about it in the same way. But you're exactly right. At the end of the day, it's still a pet. And and if it goes down, then uh, you're upset
0: but i think it's the other reason as well we talked earlier about your operations team you need to make sure that you have a very strong operations team that can think about this end to end and think about it from the sap application down and make sure that you have you know you're managing to those slas at that level okay.
1: it 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 can oh, be it can be it, and it has to be i mean if you're if you're a true mm-hmm. sap shop with your disaster recovery has to be a multi-region. Yeah. You typically don't want it in the same region, so you always try to do a
2: multi Yeah, the only thing you have to be careful there, obviously, is uh, data residency. Yes. yes. So, yes. so that's yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm sorry? Another good reason to architect it appropriately up front to really understand what it is you're looking for there.
1: Uh, uh, no, it, no, it has to be an active-passive uh, mm-hmm. because it's a true DR at that point. You would do local HA in your present region, and then you would do DR on the other side.
0: Sure. Thank you. Good question. There was one question in the back. Oh, right here? Sorry. <laughs>
1: model, right? I think they are and So how will it the the to is AWS coming they have to So I mean if you uh to kind of rephrase your question, I mean, to repeat your question. So what you're asking is, SAP has the, the base ECC applications, and they also have third-party applications. They have customer interfaces coming through PI today. I mean, they're, they're going to change probably with the other stuff. And how is SAP and AWS trying to manage this? Is that the correct So I think it's not more of an SAP, AWS managing it. It is more of us as, as the as the people who are architecting the SAP solution, managing it. Like I'll give you an example. We have one customer who's moved their SAP Bob J environment, running on HANA as their local repositories, into AWS. But their uh, actual EDW is not an SAP EDW that is staying inside their data center. And then even their downstream that uh, that they're getting data out of Bob J for some of their you know, portal interfaces that are not SAP interfaces—they're all staying outside. So the way we architect that solution is, you have a direct connect connectivity between, you know, the, your existing on-prem data center to your SAP environment, and you can do the data flow. Now, there are certain cases where we probably have to do a kind of a combined shift, if you will. For example, vertex, right? I, can, I have to have vertex with ECC together because it's, it's easier for me to do that. way. So what we typically do, again, the whole design is so important, is because you have to look at your application landscape before we look at the, how the infrastructure comes in. And then we decide what stays back, what needs to come with us into the public cloud, and then how, how does the networking work after Does that answer your question?
0: Okay. Uh, Oh, right here. Thank you. I think clients are pretty early days on this one they're certainly starting with moving dev tests and then and then once they prove that they'll move into production but um i don't think there are tons and tons of clients in the world today that are move, running 100 in the public cloud yet but everybody is wanting to start that journey and learn from that so i think we're going to see more and more of that
2: yeah and i think just to add to that certainly the customers that i've spoken to it really depends on where they are in their um, infrastructure recycling because they've sunk potentially a lot of money in a lot of expensive kit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah I, I can see the pain on your face there. Um, so it, it's about it being realistic. You're going to let that depreciate and you're going to sweat that asset. And it's then at that point when you're looking at either refreshing, that's when you're going to make that move. So it's, it's unusual, and I've not come across a client who says, right, well, I'm going to move everything into AWS now. Um, So typically we start with the test and dev, we start with HANA so we can use very large instance sizes so they can start playing around with it. They don't have to sink capital in some very large bits of tin. So Mm -hmm. it it really is a sort of a phased approach from the customers I've spoken to.
0: I think licensing plays a big aspect of it as well. Where are they with their SAP licensing And, and that model as well and being able to move it to the suite on HANA and then S4 as well. So that plays a big part in that migration piece. Over here.
2: I would say the A word, yeah. you'd be in
1: trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, he was talking about the A word. I was talking about the H word. So, <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, I mean, heck, as uh, SAP has it, I mean. You've got to look at it like HANA Enterprise Cloud essentially sits on one of these providers. Uh, whether it's the, the public cloud providers that are there, there are private cloud providers that are there. So essentially, from, from a HEC perspective, what you would get is you're talking to SAP. So, as an, to your point, as an early adopter, uh, if you feel comfortable uh, talking to an SAP guy from SAP versus an NSI, then you would go with heck. But if you're asking me, is there any difference in the infrastructure, because SAP would turn around and actually talk to one of us or the public cloud providers and say, hey, you know, can you host this environment? So, you wouldn't see a difference there. It's only the comfort feel that you would have.
0: It's back, it's back to the layer chart that <laughs> that's, that's I had. That's I another mean, big thing. There's multiple providers of the cloud, right, whether it's SAP in there or they might have partners. We happen to be a HEC provider as well. There, there are others as well. So um, it's really, again, the value on top of that as well that the providers can provide across all those different clouds. Yep. What's the
1: sizes? Of- So IOPS app's perspective, I think the uh, AWS has a pretty decent uh, T-shirt sizing, so we really don't have so much of an issue there. Uh, Typically, the the sizing constraints come, of course, when you're using HANA, because you're you're limiting uh, your scale up at four, and scale out is fine, you're you're all the way up to 34. So we have seen customers, uh, especially in, Non-production environments, what they typically do if they're trying to do an early adoption to S4Hana, they wouldn't move their entire any data, uh, the Oracle database into S4, so they would compress pretty deep, pretty much and probably come at one or two terabytes. Um, production environments, we are seeing the lower end customers will probably uh, with lower loads will probably be at two two and a half terabyte when they compress into Hana. So at the the four terabyte level at this point across the board, I mean that's kind of the Arm for all public clouds, um, it's pretty much satisfying most customers who want to do early adoption. Now, the big customers obviously would, head after four, when you're going up, then you're into an appliance world automatically. Right? Yeah, and
2: this is something where AWS are going to continue to develop on their instance yeah. sizes, so um, as the demand is there, and you never know what announcements will be made I think
1: the limitation is not actually from AWS. If you look at it, it's actually the certification limitations. Right? SAP has certified up to four terabytes for virtual. Beyond that, they're not certified yet. So, as I said during my during the design piece, what I was telling you is when you're resi- when you're sizing, uh, run the quick sizers, run your early watch. Uh, understand how much data you're really going to use And project about two years Don't do more than that Because I'm sure two years from now We'll probably be at eight And at eight terabyte, You can pretty much have a pretty decent HANA system there
0: mm-hmm.
1: So that should be better.
0: Over here I'm sorry? What's the question then? Oh
1: so, it, it, so the benefit, again, I mean, it starts from the application, right? I mean, the the, the, initial, the, the basic benefit of running SAP on Oracle versus SAP on HANA, that benefit is more at the application level. Mm-hmm. If your question is, okay, is there a benefit for me on AWS? So, again, I, I don't think you can really qualify a benefit that way because you're talking at infrastructure level right now. Yeah. So, for example, let's say your cost metrics at that point is if i have a 3 terabyte hana versus a 3 terabyte vm with 3 terabyte storage for oracle uh, that's that's a, just a cost metric again it's it's an it, if you're asking at the AWS level, there is none, uh, but it's the application, like you know, right? If you're migrating Oracle to Oracle, it's easier because it's a homogeneous migration. It's a copy restore at that point. If you're migrating from Oracle to HANA, it is, it is a pretty decent migration at that point. And again, are you migrating from Oracle to Sweet on HANA or Oracle to S4 HANA? That's again a big bang at that point, right? Yes, that, that certification, you whether you're in the- an Yeah, it's required. I mean, I, I don't think whether you're on AWS or the other way, that basis certification still is still needed.
0: required, yeah. Other questions? Okay, thank you guys for hanging out to the very end. Take care, enjoy the rest of your conference.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah.